So if you've got a Bible, uh, we're going to open up to Luke 22, and then we're going to turn back to Luke 5 in a little while. So if you want to put a marker there, we'll turn uh, there together in just a little while in Luke 5, but we're going to open up in Luke 22. And this will make sense um, when you understand who we're talking about today, not just Jesus, but another, another guy um, as to why we're beginning here and going to look back at an earlier text as well. As we are moving right along in our study uh, through their eyes, through the eyes of the original followers, through the eyes of those who encountered Jesus in his earthly ministry, we're doing so through, uh, with the help of Luke, who uh, thoroughly investigated, talked to many eyewitnesses, got on the ground, interviewed, uh, talked to uh, one-on-one, went around digging, investigating all that he could about Jesus wanting to know as much as possible about this movement that was changing the world and that was making such a big uh, impact all around um, the, the, the known earth at the time. And of course, to this day, continues to make so much noise. And, and we continue to worship the one they call Jesus, the Nazarene. Um, in our last episode of Through Their Eyes, Luke introduced us to Jesus, the storyteller. Uh, Matthew, we meet Jesus, the preacher. Mark introduces us to Jesus, the servant. John makes it very clear that Jesus is God in flesh and backs it up with signs that punctuate that. But Luke includes all of those things, but more than anything and more than anyone else, Luke portrays Jesus as a storyteller, and we call his stories parables, right? And we've learned about parables last week, and maybe you know this about parables, and I think it'll be good to kind of start here today. Parables are grounded stories with a heavenly message. They're stories that are grounded in the earthly experiences that we all know, especially in the day and age of Jesus. They're stories that take place in the here and now, free from the miraculous, free from the spectacular, but with a message and a meaning that shines heaven's light down. And I feel like Luke especially was drawn to these parables because Luke himself was a storyteller, right? But more than that, he was not a disciple. He was not even Jewish. Luke was an outsider. And when he began to talk to people that were impacted by Jesus, all those years later, what stood out to so many people and the stories that so many told about Jesus, people began to say, when Jesus told parables, when he told stories, we felt like we were included not just in the story, but in his family. That when Jesus told stories, they didn't just make God seem real and they didn't just make God seem visible. I mean, after all, he was in flesh in front of us. But the stories that Jesus told, more than just making God seem real, they made people feel real and seen and valuable to God. That the stories made people realize, wow, God knows me. God sees me. God values me. And that is so important for your heart to know. And this was exactly what Jesus was intending when he told these stories. And it was what Luke was looking for when he sought to share and extend the story to many more for ages to come. And wouldn't you know that these stories are still making God so real and still making people feel real and valuable and seen by God. 
God, good storytellers know that one thing is very important. You cast a wide net. You don't go deep, you go wide. And, and, and not only do you keep the story simple, but you always allow there to be an entry point in the story. No matter where someone jumps in, no matter what chapter they start in, or what scene they select, you've got to allow an entry point. You've got to make sure the story makes makes people feel desire to enter into the story, to be able to identify with the story. Sometimes it's the place, it's the scenario, it's the object in the story that allows us to identify. Think back to your favorite book or your favorite movie. There's no doubt something in those movies or in those stories that allow you to jump into them, to identify with them an object, a place, a job, or whatever the story is about. A good storyteller wants a listener or a viewer or a reader to find themselves in the story, especially if they're seeking to make a real-world impact and effect. Because identifying oneself in the story can actually allow someone to find themselves in the real world. Good stories make you believe in possibility. They don't marginalize. They don't make you feel hopeless. Jesus' stories were no different. He sought to define His mission and His motive through stories. He presented God as a presence who surrounds us all, not just some of us. His stories, and this is so powerful, and I hope that you get this as you read through the Gospels, especially this week. Jesus' stories made encountering and knowing God seem not only possible, but normal and expected. He didn't want you to think, maybe I'll encounter God. Maybe I'll meet God. Maybe I can know God. He wanted it to be a normal, expected part of your life. Now, people would say, Jesus, you're ignoring sin. You're ignoring the law. And he didn't do any of those things. He was rather trying to engage people who had been taken away by sin, condemned by the law. He told stories that offered no judgment concerning who you were, where you had been. He offered grace, the aim to counter in every way the effects of sin. His stories had the ability to do something incredible. They would catch such a wide swath that people from opposing avenues and parties of life would be disarmed as they listened. And this will happen to you as well. You would forget which side you were on and you would realize that God was on your side and that you could be on His side. He was literally inviting you to be on His side. And these parables really had and shared one overarching message. To, no matter who you were or, or who they featured or what they were about, they all seemed to be sending one simple message. That being a sinner doesn't disqualify anybody from following Jesus. It actually just primes us for being the ideal Jesus follower. And let me say that again. The parables, all of the stories made it very clear that being a sinner does not disqualify you from following Jesus, but rather primes you to be the ideal candidate to follow Jesus. And I hope you know and believe and I hope you can grab a hold of that today. No matter what someone else has told you, that is the theme of not just his stories, but his life. And you have to understand, their definition of sinner wasn't just someone who did bad things. The Jewish religion um, was like any cultural religion of the day, basically disqualifying and discouraging anyone that was not born into the faith, as in raised in, as a Jewish believer. 
Jesus told this famous story that really just shook the, the foundations of the, the, of the, of the day and the, and, the, and the society. He told a story that we call the Good Samaritan. Uh, that highlighted a Jew who had suffered some tough breaks and a priest doesn't help him, a Levite doesn't help him, but a Samaritan who wasn't even welcomed into the family of God by his own people of the day, but a Samaritan who trusted God against all odds. A Samaritan comes by and is an example of what it means to be a good neighbor. But don't miss this. The Samaritan in the story is actually a stand-in for Jesus. Right? And it broke so many brains whenever they begin to think the Good Samaritan is a picture of God as He's reaching down to the one who has fallen. Jesus believed that God, Jews believed God only loved them, but here in a story, we see the Samaritan representing Jesus, having compassion and caring for, even carrying the burden of a suffering Jewish man. Can you imagine how empowering that must have been? To no matter if you were cast out or cast down. Jesus championed both the cast down and the cast out. Of course, we looked last week at the story of the prodigal son, but we learned it may better be called the story of the prodigal God. Because from a religious perspective, the father shows reckless, wasteful love for his rebellious son. And there are so many other stories that send this message, that bring attention to this love, that isn't reckless at all, but it's relentless, it's divine. Luke put this love down in words. Meanwhile, Jesus put it up on a cross. And that's what this season is all about, isn't it, right? This was the message that brought Luke to the Lord. This was the message that, pre- that, preached, uh, that, Jesus was, that he preached, that his disciples preached throughout Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And, and, and I think, I have to think that one of Jesus' followers in particular that Luke got to interview. One in particular must have told Luke, 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 you've got to include all of these parables. You've got to include all of these stories. You've got to make this the theme of your gospel. You've got to make sure people know loud and clear there is a God in heaven that loves them. There's a Savior who came to die for them, to reach down to those that had been cast out, to reach out for those that had been cast down. There is a Savior who is a advocate who is a friend who is for everybody. I have to think that one disciple in particular told Luke, you've got to make this the main idea. Who else could that be but Peter? And wouldn't you agree that Peter more than any other knew how powerful and redeeming God's love was? Now Luke, and this is so cool, Luke actually got some of Peter's sermon notes. And the reason why I believe they're sermon notes is as every preacher um, preaches, nobody ever preaches a sermon as short as Peter's sermons are recorded in Acts. But if I were to record my sermons down in the Bible, I would pick the best points and I would leave out the stuff everybody would forget anyway. So, but anyway, regardless of how much of the sermons we have, Luke actually got some some notes from Peter's sermon on Pentecost on the opening day of the church, and I think it's clear when we listen to what Peter was preaching, what the heart of this message was all about. Peter preached in Acts chapter 2. 
This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite, definite plan of, in the foreknowledge of God, you crucified and you killed by the hands of lawless men. The lawless men were the people he was talking to. He's, okay guys, y'all tried to stop what God was, had, had already settled on and decided on and planned for. Y'all tried to kill him, but guess what? He was unstoppable. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. But that begs the question, okay, well, if it wasn't possible for Jesus to be held by death, then why did he come to die if he was just going to raise again? Like, if, what was the point of all that? And Peter was like, I'm glad you ask. Because, come on, if you were God and you sent your son to the earth and the earth rejected him and crucified him, and he had the power to come back to life anyway, what would you do if you came back from the grave and faced the very people that killed you? What would your message be? One of judgment? What would, what would you think Peter had to say to the very people that killed Jesus? That wrath is coming? Recompense is coming? Not at all. Peter surprises them when he goes in this direction. This Jesus, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Yes, you, you as in the people that killed Him, the people that cursed Him, the people that denied Him and betrayed Him, you are all and can all be recipients of His grace of His Spirit, of His love. His response to you is not judgment. It is salvation. And they're all, they're all just torn to heart like, oh my goodness, how, this is too good to be true. And Peter says, I, I know that it is, but here's what you should do. You should repent of how you have been living. You should turn away from your unbelief. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. For what? The forgiveness of your sins. You sinned in the fact that you killed Jesus, but you've been sinning a lot more than that. Come on, let's be honest. We're all sinners. And you can receive forgiveness, and not only that, you can receive the presence of God. And I love Peter's closing invitation. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls. Far off as in no matter how far gone you are, how far off spiritually you are, this is for you. Ooh, right? I think years later when Luke and Peter sat down for the interview, Peter said, Luke, 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 I know you know this for yourself, but there, from, I was there from day one, and we've got to make sure the story we're telling is about a loving, unstoppable Savior. Peter would say, trust me, I was there. Every story he told pointed to history's most important moment when he would bleed out on a cross for our sins and three days later how he would rise up for our salvation. Giving forgiveness and mercy to everybody. And you know why I believe Peter, more than any other follower, would have pressed this so hard to Luke? 
Because Peter, more than any other follower, had felt the power of God's forgiveness and God's mercy and God's grace and God's love. Peter had a real up and down relationship with Jesus. Maybe you don't know this. Maybe you, don't, maybe you aren't tremendously uh, 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 aware of it, but I think this will encourage you. I think this will help a lot of us out. Did you know? Did you know that Peter once considered unfollowing Jesus? I mean, come on, the guy, right? Peter, the, the walking on water, right? The guy that was always bold. Absolutely, Peter considered unfollowing Jesus one day. Now, we think of Peter, he's the poster child for Christianity. But one day, Jesus was bringing to the surface how people that followed him just for the free stuff, you know, and all the awesome stuff he was doing, that that really wasn't what his movement was all about. And that, that, that people that were all about consuming and not actually following or not actually obeying and not sacrificing, that that wasn't part of God's plan. And, and, and Jesus began to kind of, you know, come up against the, the, the crowd as they were all demanding miracles and signs and wonders and free stuff. And he was like, listen guys, that's not why I'm here. People kept making it about themselves and they weren't giving any glory to God. It was all consumption, no following. And Jesus was having none of it. He preached this powerful sermon about how if you want to follow Him, you need to consume His definite will, not His possible wonders. You need to follow God's plan, not complain about how it doesn't line up with yours and try to change it if it doesn't suit you. But dozens of people that day unfollowed Jesus. Here's what the end of that whole episode looks like. When many of his disciples heard this sermon, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? I mean, hey, Jesus, we, we like the food, but you know we're not really here for all this stuff. But Jesus, knowing in Himself that His disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, does this offend you? Peter's looking over at John. He's like, you want to take this one? John's like, no, no, no. He reads our minds, Peter. He already knows what you're thinking. Peter's like, oh, okay, okay, okay. And then Jesus sees people starting to leave. The auditorium seats begin to flip up. People begin to leave by the dozens. And many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus looked on the front row. You guys want to leave too? You know why he asked them that? Because they were all on the edge of their seats waiting to see who would get up first. Peter tries to save face and acts big and bold. Oh, of course I wouldn't unfollow you, Jesus. And even though he knew Jesus was the Son of God, he still had his doubts whether it was worth it or not. But that's not all. Did you know that Peter actually unfollowed Jesus? And perhaps the most crucial test of his faith, Peter denied, cursed, and walked away from him? I mean, is there any coming back from denying and cursing and walking away from Jesus? Here's how you can bank on the Bible being inspired by God, knowing that He's the driving force behind its content. How you can, maybe even more so than the rest of its content, know that it's verifiable and true. If this was a hoax, if this was all a ruse, Luke probably didn't interview anybody anyway. But if he's just making this up, you don't take the star character that you're trying to sell the world on this new religion. You don't make the star character this, this wishy-washy, flaky, unreliable figure. If you're making all this up, you don't 
introduce a character who can't decide whether or not he wants to follow Jesus and then make him the poster boy for the whole movement. Yet Luke tells us the truth. He tells us how Peter walks away from Jesus when he should have been on his side. And maybe even more flabbergasting, more astonishing, Luke records Peter right before this, standing up in front of everybody just a few days before his arrest. And everybody's thinking, Jesus, you know, you're making this too difficult. I mean, you know, who can even be saved? And Peter's like, okay, I'll tell you who can be saved. We have left our homes. We've left our jobs. We've left everything to follow Jesus. So hey, we know it's worth it. And then just a few days later, Jesus is arrested. Peter and John are able to sneak into the courthouse and are trying to figure out what to do, how to help. And John says, okay, Peter, I know the high priest. He'll let us in. We can go and actually sit in the auditorium and watch the trial. And Peter's like, no way! He gets cold feet. And he hides in the courtyard. And that's where we'll pick up in Luke chapter 22, verse number 54. Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them because he got cold feet, remember? And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied him, denied her. He denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. So a teenage girl, I know you. You're the guy that was in the street saying, Hosanna. You're the guy that was saying, I've left everything. You're the guy that's always by his side, proclaiming him as the Lord and Savior of the world. I know you. What, what's your name? Peter? Simon? What? The Rock? What is your name? Peter, no, 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 you don't understand, lady. I don't know him. I'm just here. I don't know why I'm here. Actually, I'm just here, but I don't know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, you also are of them. And Peter said, man, like, man, I am not. And then after about an hour had passed, and other, another confidently affirmed, saying, surely this fellow also was with him. He's a Galilean. But Peter said, man. Now, Matthew and Mark tells us that he didn't say man, that he cursed. But Luke's given us a family-friendly version of the story. So it doesn't include that, right? So Peter does what you do when somebody's watching you or somebody's listening to you. Man, I, right? Peter was a sailor, right? He fished naked. Of course, he didn't say man. But, I mean, don't, you know. Man. I do not know what you're saying. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter because it was this big open room. And he looked from the courtroom. And he looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. So Peter went out. Peter ran out and wept bitterly. Can you imagine what he felt? He didn't run out of town either. He stayed for what was about to happen. 
as they took Jesus out that morning and they whipped him with a cat of nine tails. And the flesh was ripped off of his back. And Peter stood at a distance as he heard Jesus moan and cry, but not curse and not complain. He saw Jesus as he, under the weight of his cross, struggled up the hill called the skull. He saw Jesus stretched out on a beam as his nails were pierced, as his feet were pierced, as the brow was pierced with the crown of thorns. He saw Jesus lifted up on the hill and he stood back as he could see John and Mary closer to the the cross. Peter stood back overwhelmed by the sight and the smell and the shrills of crucifixion. And then he died. And that was the end. And when he died, Peter decided that we can't trust a thing he ever said. Because messiahs don't die. Saviors don't bleed. God in a body doesn't get buried. So Peter and his friends became unbelievers. If you don't believe me, flip over to chapter 24, verse number 11. When they heard the rumors of the resurrection... When they heard that there had been sightings of Jesus, Peter, as the leader of the gang, heard their words. And what does verse 11 say? Their words seemed to them like an idle tale, and they did not, and they did not, and they did not believe them. As in, they did not believe Jesus was alive. They did not believe He was who they once believed He was. But we don't remember Peter as the unfollower, the unbeliever. We remember Peter as the leader of the church. But maybe today it's best to remember Peter as the follower who kept unfollowing. Peter is that person that deletes you on social media that adds you back the next day and then deletes you again and then adds you back. Right? They they say they're never going to talk to you again, but they're back. And you're like, wow, I thought you were gone, and now you're back. Right? Peter's the high school girlfriend or boyfriend that you break up with a thousand times, and you think, finally, I'm free. Oh, no, I'm not. Right? I burnt the pictures. Peter, I believe, would go on to tell Luke, Luke, you've got to make sure that this message stands high above the rest. The moral of the story, the heart of the message, the heartbeat of his ministry is one of forgiveness. Because take it from me, my messy relationship was, my mess was big, but my Messiah was bigger. Peter would say, My messy relationship with Jesus testifies to His message. I think Peter knew from the very first time he met Jesus that he was different than any religious or political spiritual leader he'd ever met before. I think Peter understood what Jesus was all about from the beginning. And that's what always kept that door open. If you'll turn back to Luke 5 as we'll close, I want to take a look at Peter's initial encounter with Jesus. I think, maybe you don't know this, but Peter must have met Jesus at synagogue on a Saturday afternoon. The story tells us in chapter 4 that Jesus had attended synagogue and that one Saturday, Peter invited Jesus over for lunch. 
His mother-in-law had stayed home that Saturday because she had had a fever, and of course she wouldn't have wanted to give anybody the fever, but more than that, synagogues would not have allowed anyone who had been sick, was sick, or looked sick to come to church or come to worship. And I think Peter must have glowed when he told Luke this. Luke, I knew Jesus was different from the moment, not when He healed my mother, but from when I had seen and heard that he, all that He'd done a thousand times before that. I knew He was different, not from the miracles, not from this encounter, but when He came into my house, He asked not to, where's the, where's the food at? He didn't ask, hey, what are we going to do today? He asked if He could say a prayer with my mother-in-law. He insisted not on praying for her at the table, but going into her room and being close to her. This is so important. Jesus drew near to those who had been drawn away, pulled under, and marked unclean by the world. And Peter would think, that's when I knew. That's when I knew who is this man who is intentional about laying hands on those who had been called unclean. The ancient world saw through this lens. If you touch an unclean person, you became an unclean person. Yet Jesus intentionally laid His hands on the unclean, accepting them as they were, often even raising them up and making them whole. Now listen to this. So important to understand. In the ancient world, if you were sick, it was immediately connected to your sin. You were not supposed to touch anyone who was sick, not because they were contagious, they probably were, but because they were condemned. If you were sick, you were condemned. Sicknesses was an outward sign of an inward problem. So that's why Jesus healed people as an outward sign of a deeper healing, a better hope. Now listen, everybody that He healed eventually died again, eventually died. Everybody, everyone that he healed, it didn't suggest that he would always heal. In fact, he didn't always heal people. Sometimes he skipped over people that were laying sick just to get to one person and walked out and didn't heal anybody else. He didn't heal to suggest that Christianity should be defined by all these miracles. It would be defined by the message. See, they had no idea of how things actually worked. Again, they thought sickness was a sign of condemnation. So Jesus intentionally touched sick people to show that was not the case. And He healed people of sickness to show that He could heal people from sin. So the reason Jesus healed people wasn't just to make them better, but it was to show He had the power to forgive their sin. Because they thought that was causing the sickness. It wasn't to, to make it seem no one will or should ever suffer. Plenty of His followers suffered. But as Jesus Himself put it, It was that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. All those signs were meant to proclaim and point to Him as the Messiah. There's no greater miracle than encountering the Messiah of God and being forgiven of our sins. Everyone who saw Him do these wonders began to think, if He can heal the outside, what can He possibly do for the inside? Wow, maybe Jesus can actually heal my heart. So they get done with lunch and Jesus leaves, but that wasn't the last time Peter would see Jesus. All this sets the stage for what's next. Now Luke's version of Peter becoming a Jesus follower is so unique, and maybe you're more familiar with Matthew or Mark. Uh, where Jesus walks up one day and they're fishing and Jesus literally just says, hey, I'm God in the body. Y'all should follow me. Mark records it just like that. 
Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And Luke must have pressed Peter. Peter, I know there's more to the story. And Peter's like, of course there's more. I was there. Peter tells Luke that his fishing career was not going too hot. Another night of tooling at sea, and they had caught nothing at all. Peter says, we came to shore, and Jesus was teaching a big crowd, and he asked if he could use our boat as a pulpit so he could press out into the sea so more people could see him and hear him. And after the sermon, we finished cleaning our nets, and i got to tell you, Luke, I was bummed out. But to be honest, I'm so thankful I caught nothing that night. I'm so thankful for that season of my life when I was unfruitful, when I was dry and empty and dead. I'm so thankful for that season of my life when I was broke and hopeless and tired and about to give up. I'm so thankful for that season. You may think, well, 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 how could anybody be thankful for that? When it sets you up for salvation, you can realize that when you realize God can redeem anything, you'll shout during the valleys of life. You'll know that no matter how great the mess, your Messiah is greater. Amen? Amen? I, I bet Peter was sitting and telling Luke, listen Luke, can you believe what was hanging in the balances that day? I mean, I was embarrassed. I was a failure. I mean, every aspect of my life was humiliating. And Jesus asked me to do something crazy. Verse 4 of chapter 5. He said, Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Peter's thinking, okay, Jesus, I know you prayed for my mother-in-law, but I'm not about to start taking fishing tips from a carpenter. Peter wrongfully assumed that Jesus had nothing to offer him. Peter wasn't dying, he wasn't sick, but as we will see, as Peter confesses, he actually had a much greater need. Simon answered, Master... Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. I think he's trying to be polite. Master, I know you're not a fisherman, but I'll call you master because I guess that's polite. Teacher, rabbi, we haven't caught anything. And if we didn't catch anything at night, we won't catch anything during the day. And I don't know if you know this, Jesus, but I'm not a good fisherman. My dad wants me to be, but I'm not. I'd rather just hang out and drink with my buddies and just have a good time. But now I'm starting to run out of money and we already live with my mother-in-law and, you know, I'm glad you healed her, but, you know, maybe there's something else you can do for us. I mean, Jesus, hey, hey, I'm not in the best place. But Peter, because he had nothing to lose, at your word, I will let down the net. Peter decides to take Jesus at his word. And i got to think, Peter said to Luke, Luke, I had no idea that Jesus' words were any different than anybody's words. I didn't know this verse would be turned into a memory verse. I didn't know this would be a teaching point at his word. I didn't realize what I was saying when I said it. I took his advice. I didn't realize what it was leading to. I had no idea what hanging in the balance of trusting Jesus' advice on fishing. People are going to think I had all this rehearsed, but I promise you I didn't. Luke, I had no idea where this was going. Of course, we could say back to Peter, Peter, you still had no idea where this is going. Peter, let me show you some pictures, Peter. One day, 
this awesome cathedral will be built on the very grounds that Christians will be tortured and fed to lions, where you will die. Peter, on the very site of your torture scene, where all of your friends would be tortured in Rome. Peter, not just on the grounds, but Peter, the entire city will be demolished and rebuilt, and guess who they're going to name it after? You. Peter, you have no idea where this is going. And long after the Roman Empire is gone, Christianity and the church will be thriving. Peter, I know that the whole Roman part doesn't really do much for you. But there will be two billion Christians of every tribe, every tongue, on every continent. Peter would say, I don't need all that to confirm my faith. I knew from that moment we had nothing to lose. Verse 6. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners to the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Lord, Peter's reaction is so telling to the kind of impact that Jesus leaves on anybody and everybody. Peter does not remark, wow, we're going to be rich. Or gee, let's take this on the road. You take 30%, I'll take 70. Work out a deal. In the presence of Jesus' wonder, Peter was overcome with his own unworthiness. Depart from me, he shouted. It was evident to Peter that he was in the presence of someone greater, too holy, too good for him. Yet remember, this was all Jesus' idea. He instigated the whole encounter, not just with Peter, but with the whole world. For God so loved the world that He sent His only Son to dwell among us and make Himself known to us, sin and all. Jesus moves toward us to show that redemption was His idea to begin with. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, You know, God did not scold them. God did not fuss at them. You know who His first words were to? The enemy. Who thought, ha ha ha, I've got it. I've won, I've won. You've lost. When you've just started, you're already losing, God. God's first response was to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring and her offspring will bruise your head. So God's first response to sin was it's not going to win. Redemption was God's idea. It is God's idea. Jesus moved toward us when we are at our most unacceptable and most unholy. He comes near to sinners. He does not run us off. Look at verse number 10 very clearly. Do not be afraid. I'm not asking y'all to leave. I'm not asking y'all to bow as if you're not worthy of my presence. Don't be afraid. From now on, you're with me. And I'm with you. He would often tell them, don't be afraid, reminding that he had their backs, he had their hearts, he had their futures, he had big plans for their 
futures. I believe Peter would tell Luke with tears in his eyes, we're just getting started, Luke. You've got to include this in your story. We're on the verge of greatness. We're so close. I know there's danger. I know there's risk. I know we're not gaining much world-renowned with this, but I know what I saw that day by the lake. I know who Jesus is. And even next to my mess, I know my Messiah can also be the world's Messiah. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, even Luke, they lost everything following Jesus, but they were never afraid. They were never afraid to lose. They were never afraid to die. The Scripture says that God delivered all those who through fear of death were subject to slavery. He gave them absolute no fear. He gave them courage. They would go on to die with nothing. But what they didn't die with was worth far more than the alternative. Because you know what they didn't die with? They died with no regrets. But wouldn't you have followed Him too? I mean, maybe you say, yeah, you know, if God would do something like that for me, I'd follow Him. If He brought me a bunch of fish, or He healed somebody, or He did these miracles, I would follow Him. And maybe Luke would even push back, Peter, Peter, what if people say, what if people say, yeah, but He's never caught a bunch of fish for us. us. He's never healed my mom. He's never did something great for me. I mean, what if people say, you know, Luke, Luke, I don't know if I can believe because, yeah, he did that for Peter, but what's he done for me? And Peter would say, What? Are you serious? You think I'm following Jesus because of a fish trick? You think I'm putting my life on the line because of a magic trick by the sea? Are you crazy? You think he needs to prove his power to you with a miracle? Maybe you don't know the whole story. Peter would say, after I betrayed him and denied him, I watched him die. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He's like, do you not realize what he's done for you? He took your sins on a cross and died for them so that you might be free from bondage and live in the freedom of God's power and God's grace. Peter said, you know why I know that? Because I was one who reviled him and he didn't revile me. I cursed him and he didn't curse me. He died for me. I ran from him. I denied him. I cursed him. Yet he did it all for me. I bet after Peter told all this to Luke, he must have said, Luke, that's why I feel so confident to say the heart of Jesus' ministry, the heartbeat of His message is one of mercy and grace and forgiveness and love. Luke, the wildest thing is, I can't believe how scared I was. I can't believe how blind I was that I would be so numb to this. Just hours before Jesus was arrested, He could tell how strung out I was. He knew that I would sell him out in a minute. He even warned me. 
Jesus told Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you. Peter's thinking, all I could think about while he was dying was that he prayed for me and I let him down. I blew it. I failed. I sinned more than anybody could ever sin. And yet he still hung on the cross. And after he got out of the grave, he came to me personally and he said, Okay, Peter, remember that fishing business you talked about with me? You know, 70-30? I got something better. How about a church? And you're in charge. Go tell the whole world what you've just saw. And Peter melted. Peter knew he didn't just make a mess. He didn't just have a mess. Peter would say, I was the mess, but thankfully, Jesus is the Messiah. And you might be a mess today. And you might have brought it all on yourself. And you might deserve every bit of judgment anybody could ever levy at you. But Peter says to you, come on. I was the mess. But I met a Messiah who was greater. I'll never forget that day by the sea. When Jesus the Messiah moved towards my mess and called me his. And he never let go. Peter reminds you and me that our stories are redeemable. Our mess can meet the Messiah. So maybe today is the day that you bring your mess. Say, Justin, my mess is bigger than what I can bring. I am the mess. That's fine. Come on. Today's the day that your mess, you come and meet the Messiah. It doesn't matter if it's up here or wherever you're at. Cry out to Jesus. He is greater than whatever mess you've made. Peter would say, take it from me. He will never let go. Let me pray for you. Father, I love you. Thank you so much for this incredible reminder of your unfailing love. And God, we want to give you this invitation. We, of course, you're giving us an invitation. God, we want to, we want to give this moment to you. and we want, to, we want to praise you. We want to sing Hosanna like they did back in the streets of Jerusalem that day. We want to sing that song that they sing because the song is still fitting. You are still the highest King, the highest in the heavens. But Father, we also remember that even though You were the highest and deserved the greatest, You came to the lowest and took on the worst because You wanted to save whatever mess we had made. God, if anybody in this house today, if while they're singing, they can't even lift up any words because they just, they're too emotional. While they're singing, they just need to give you more praise than words can give. They just want to lay down in front of everybody at an altar. They want to bow humbly and publicly and say, I need to give my mess over to the Savior. I need to give Him praise. I need to lift up His name. God, if there's somebody here that they've got a mess and they've never been saved, they've never turned it over to you, they've never trusted you to be their Savior, 
God, I pray you would give them the confidence and the courage and the acceptance to step out. For the rest, Lord, may our praise join with the chorus of angels today as we sing Hosanna, Hosanna, and the highest. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.